Underdog Collectibles is an online shop run for collectors by collectors. Join them every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday night as they break new products, talk sports, and hopefully you'll pull a great hit to add to your collection. Visit them at www.udogcollect.com and tell them Wax Pack Hero sent you. Remember, always bet on the underdog. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. Wherever you're at and whenever you're listening to this, I hope things are going well for you. Well, today I'm excited for our guest today. His name is Brett McGrath, and he is the host of the Stacking Slabs podcast. And I first got connected with Brett via TikTok, actually. And he participated or did a duet with one of my videos. We'll talk about that in the interview. And that's how we first got connected, had some conversations here and there throughout the next several weeks and we just uh, really started to um, build a relationship. I like his energy, I like his attitude and he brings a different and unique perspective to the trading card marketplace or the trading card industry and it's been fun to listen along as he gets excited as he continues to learn and share his perspectives on buying and selling and collecting cards. So I hope you enjoy the interview with Brett. I'm going to go ahead and kick it off now. Brett, welcome to the show. How's it going, Mike? Thank you so much for having me. I think right before we started chatting, I was telling you how, uh, or before we started recording, I was telling you about how excited I am because it's kind of atypical, but being here in Indianapolis, we've got the Indianapolis 500 this morning, so it's always a special time here in the city where I'm from, so excited to do some grilling and hanging out with family and friends to watch that. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I've only been to one Indy 500 race, and that was back in, I think, 1998. I had a, a roommate in college who had a relative who was one of the higher-ups at the track. And so I had VIP passes, was down in the on the track right before the race, and um, hanging out with Jim Neighbors and Florence Henderson and all of <laughs> some of the other uh, celebrities at the time. Uh, it was a it was a pretty cool experience getting to be in the garages and doing some of that kind of stuff um, pre race. It, it was it was a pretty neat experience. Yeah, so you definitely weren't roughing it, and roughing it for anyone out there who doesn't know typically involves maybe a night in the coke lot, um, a lot of uh, alcohol, some maybe a little bit of sleep, but uh, running on fumes, but getting the energy, walking about a mile and a half around turn four walking in and breathing in all the sights and sounds. So unfortunately, that's not going to be a part of this year. But, you know, it's funny, too. It's the first year that the race will be shown live in the city of Indianapolis, which I always go to the race, but um, and it's always sold out. So I never understood why they do that. But it's going to be a little different, but excited to uh, watch it today. It's always a really, really important time here in Indy. Yeah, and and it's it's interesting too. It, it comes at a time where there's going to be Tops is going to be making cards um, later this year, and and that's it, that hasn't happened in in quite a while. So um, 
yeah, it's not just going to be NASCAR cards that, that we have to collect here in the, in the coming months. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, the Indy, uh, the, uh, Indy car series is over the last few years has been looking for those, uh, opportunities to extend their brand, expose themselves to new audience. And I think, you know, collecting and with cards, it's a natural fit. And, you know, maybe it's cause I live in a bubble and this is my primary racing series that I watch, but it's so it, with the 500, the personalities they have in the series and um, just the way the races go, um, to me, it always seemed like there was opportunities to get more people turned on to IndyCar. So hopefully um, there are people who get in through cards, I think, getting in, exposed to anything from racing to wrestling to any other sport through cards is always a good thing for the hobby and for those um, sports series that are putting out cards. Let's talk a little bit about your collecting background. What, what got you started collecting back in the day? Yeah, so I've always been a collector at heart. I've really collected everything. Um, growing up, you know, was a uh, collector, you know, during the junk wax era of cards. I started uh, my kind of collecting career really focused on, I was thinking about this actually this week, but I was really focused on Larry Johnson cards. Uh, something about Grandmama uh, when I was younger, really grabbed me. And I've always been a Pacers fan, but Larry Johnson was someone, you know, those old Upper Deck series I was, I gravitated into and was obsessed with. So I collected cards at a young age. I've also, I'm a massive wrestling uh, fan. So I grew up on pro wrestling. I've got a uh, ton, I'm in a room right now full of my kind of wrestling figure museum. Um, somehow my wife tolerates it, but I, I've always watched wrestling, collected wrestling. I'm a music guy, so I collect vinyl. So a little bit of a hoarder in me, um, but there's something about just having, whether it's cards, wrestling figures, or vinyl music, it's always it's always felt to me to be something important um, to have that physical um, uh, copy of whatever it is. And I, I think just I've always gravitated to, you know, collecting, figuring out how I want to evolve my collection. How do I get there? And obviously there's the sales and the business side to it, whether it's buying and selling. So all of that packaged up together has kind of uh, allowed me to kind of have an escape outside of, you know, regular work and life. And I always, um, I found it just fascinating and it's a, it's a way to kind of express my passion. Did you stop collecting cards for a while or have you collected nonstop? since you were a kid? I wish I collected nonstop, but no, I certainly um, had a hiatus. Um, and it, it just kind of vanished. I think it was like around, you know, that tip, I, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about it, high school and then college, and then you get out of it and life gets busy and you're trying to find a job and find your way in life. And so there was a long period of time where I wasn't collecting cards. Um, in, in recent, it's been kind of a recent emergence back into it, but it's almost while the hobby is certainly different from the market dynamics, the products, the way it all works, it's almost in a way like I've never left coming back in. So um, I obviously wish I was, you know, still collecting back in 2003 and I had stacks of LeBron James tops Chrome rookie cards. Unfortunately, that is not the case. So I'm, I feel in a way I'm learning, playing a little catch up and also trying to pave my own path. So what got you back into it? Was there something that happened that got you back into being an active card collector? 
Yeah. So it, it was actually funny. So I am, I mentioned I was a wrestling figure collector and I was involved in a, a wrestling figure um, Facebook community group. So there's a podcast, uh, a major wrestling figure podcast. They have a Facebook group. It's full of people that are super passionate about wrestling. Inevitably, you know, conversations around other things outside of figures happen. People started buying um wrestling cards and tops products and hosting breaks and i just was so fascinated by it and i was like man cards i haven't thought about cards in a long time and i started joining these breaks for these wrestling cards and then i started looking at vintage wrestling cards and then i thought to myself you know i spend all this time you know doing i'm a huge football huge basketball fan i spend all these time researching fantasy sports while I'm playing, I wonder how this applies to the sports card market. So that's when I started diving into basketball and then quickly, you know, there was the Zion hype. And so it was kind of all of these things culminating into one thing that one day I just dove in and have not looked back. Um, and I'm having more fun than ever. Awesome. What would you say you enjoy most about the hobby right now? Uh, Meeting people. I think um, it's so fun to meet people and everyone's got their own experience and take on um, the hobby. And I find there's every, there's experts in everything, whether it's a specific player, whether it's a specific sport, uh, product, um, you, you name it, buying, selling. And so I really gravitate towards finding these people online, um, sliding into their DMs, trying to build a relationship with them and sharing information. And I feel like I, I'm ho my hope is that there are more people in the hobby that aren't trying to do it on their own and aren't, aren't um, you know, isolating themselves because it's amazing like how um, there are so many subject matter experts in, in, this, in this hobby and reaching out to them, learning and just leaning on people. That to me is like really, really powerful. And we've got all of these communication channels at our disposal to do it. So I think opportunity there is endless. And that's really what gets me excited about doing it every day. So at what point did you decide to start making content? So I, so I do, I make content for a living. So I, um, I lead a marketing team in um, that for a software product in the K-12 uh, market. And so part of our evolution in terms of the content we were creating was let's create a podcast, talk to people in our industry. It'll help us streamline content by, you know, we've got pillar content through the podcast and then we can start um, creating micro pieces of content off that. It's almost in a way, if you study Gary Vee and you study like Gary Vee's content model, what we were trying to do is similar. Obviously we're not doing it at the level of Gary Vee, but just a lightweight version of that. And so we started doing it, it started working and then COVID happened and I, you know, just one day left the office back and I was doing it. And I said to myself, I was like, you know, I'm stuck at home. I've always, I'm really passionate about several different topics and things that get me excited. Like I'm learning so much about sports cards on the fly. I'm meeting people. This is a great new experience. I have thoughts and opinions. Why don't I take what I'm doing professionally, turn it into a podcast and just share the experiences that I'm going through in real time and see if people want to listen because I know I'm not the only person who's coming back into the hobby with all of these observations questions. And that's really how it generated. And the amazing part on the back end of it is I was right. There are so many people that are of my mindset of my age that are back in the hobby because of 
the nostalgic feels of rip and packs and also see the business opportunities with investing in slabs, watching the players perform. And so it was like kind of this culmination of experiences that I had that I turned it into just trying something and it's um, gotten some legs over the last several months. And I'm really um, fortunate for it. And, and I say this a lot to just my audience when I'm talking with them, but it's the, their engagement is what really fuels me and keeps me going. The amount of direct messages I get with questions or people saying I relate to these experiences is really um, encouraging. And at the end of the day, that's why I'm doing it. So it was really just kind of like a passion project, right time, the market was right. And I just said, let's do this. And I really haven't looked back and it's turned into a really fun thing for me. And I see just all this opportunity on the other side of it of like, where, where can I eventually take this? If someone listens to like 30 seconds of your podcast, they can't help but notice that you are full of energy. Where does this come from? You know, it, it can't all be from bang energy drink. <laughs> yeah, no, it isn't. I, I actually, I'm trying to cut back a little bit on the bang. I got coffee with me this morning, but um, you know, I think it's just, you know, we're all wired in a specific way. Um, and for whatever reason, the way I'm wired is the things that I'm super passionate about. I like turn it up to like 12 and it's not a front or it's not a gimmick. It's just kind of who I am. And I've personality type. It's, I like to be around people that have similar passions of me. And I like to talk to people that have similar passions to me. And I don't know, I, I just feel like, I'm excited because I'm learning so much. I'm sharing with people and people are engaging with me and all of that together just motivates me and gets me hyped in the morning. And I guess like just as a part of my nature being a marketer, you're creating hype and you're promoting and you're excited. And I had always thought like when I got into marketing, like my personality type and skill set is it really aligns with that because I'm... I'm more excited than not, and it definitely has its benefits and it and it has its has its uh, uh, drawbacks. But I think in terms of jumping on a show and doing a 60 minute solo program, I am I will say I am exhausted after I do those, and I try to do all of those in one take just because I want it to be authentic and real. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. May my personality type makes for a good podcast. Um, and, but I, but I will say I do get really drained and tired after do, doing all of that talking. You talk a lot about looking for opportunities to go, to go left when everyone else is going right. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I think, you know, with the hobby, it's inevitable that new people are coming in every day and there's a lot of people talking about what you should do, what you shouldn't do. Um, and a lot of people are following a specific direction of like, buy these cards or these players are hot. Like, and to me, like first and foremost, I think you should buy what you like and you should buy what you're passionate about. And first of all, I think you should be passionate about sports and that makes for good, um, you know, operate operating in the hobby. But I think like in terms of going left, like if there's business opportunity with this, like what you want to do is you want to anticipate what's happening and what's not on trend now. So like for me, like turning left when the, the market's going right is like the NBA playoffs are the bubble was happening. Everyone is focused on Luca. Everyone's focused on Giannis and all these player performances and making money off of that. Well, that's when I'm taking the time and I'm researching um, the NFL market and cards and spending time thinking about ride receivers and running backs who might historically not been 
um, seen as valuable in the card market. However, with new people entering and with the DFS um, lines blurring between cards, I do anticipate more people coming in and more people wanting to buy up these players if they have good games on Sunday. So that's how, that's how I'm thinking about it. Just trying to do what's not on trend and do, do first of all, do what you, you like. And then second of all, don't necessarily focus all your energy of what's on trend because you're going to kind of just get lost in that uh, money pit of every, of all these prices being high, but like, look the other way, look at, look at opportunities, whether it's wrestling, Pokemon, uh, football, baseball, racing, whatever it is, find opportunities that most of the market isn't, isn't focused on and try to try to, uh, anticipate some trends that are coming. So it's kind of like going off of what is the, the most popular current trend as well as maybe bucking some of that conventional wisdom that exists in the hobby. Do you think there's still a place for some of that conventional wisdom? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do think there is a place for the conventional wisdom. I think there's a place for everything. And I think, you know, there's this dynamic of that I see so often too, with just like the personality types and the personas where you got these 30 year long-term collectors, you got people that hobby shop owners that have, you know, bought product to flip it. You've got breakers coming in, you've got sports card investors, you've got collectors and everyone's got their own like MOs and why they're in the hobby. And like, I think everyone, while it might seem different to some people that might've been around for a while, I think like, I think conventional wisdom, definitely there's always a place, but I think like everyone too should just, you know, keep an open mind. That's one thing I've learned this year, just in the state of being in COVID is like, let's just have an open mind and let everyone like, let's hear what other people are saying. And I think that holds true with the hobby, especially as things are changing, like have an open mind, try to listen um, and adapt because I think the more people that are in the hobby, the more, the more fun we'll eventually have. It's just about being patient and, and listening to, to whatever, what everyone's up to. I'm learning a ton by trying to take that, that uh, mentality to heart on a regular basis. Yeah. I, I like and agree with, with a lot of what you're saying there. I think that makes a lot of sense. The, the thing that I think about a lot that I'm challenged with sometimes to, to make full sense of when we think about where things are going is that we're in such a unique time in the hobby right now, where for the most part, the entire market is going up and to the right. Mm -hmm. And it, common sense would say it's not always going to stay this way. The market is not going to always increase at the rate that we're seeing it increase at. And that at some point it will normalize a little bit. And maybe at that point, some of the conventional wisdom that's based on two or three decades worth of experience will come back into play. But at the same time, like you said, looking for those things that are currently bucking the, tr the trends can lead to additional profits, can lead to you finding new ways to enjoy the hobby that you may not have, have pursued in the past. And finding that balance is one of the things that I know I'm challenged with myself. Yeah, 100%. And I think like what I've been trying to do is yes, I don't I think I think the hobby's probably changed forever. I think it it will not always be going up the, at the pace and direction it is. I think for for me knowing that, I in turn thinking about the cards that I buy, I think I try to attach myself to specific players in the sports that I like and 
collect and invest them in them. So no matter what happens with the hobby, I'll still be satisfied because I've got pieces of those players that I really appreciate and like. And then I think drilling down one level, it's, you know, from a mitigating risk on the, the market maybe going down a little bit, I'm finding myself definitely more focused on some of the parallel serial number card stuff that has some scarcity to it, as opposed to like those base cards that everyone wants their PSA 10 in rookies, whether it's Prism or, um, you know, Topps Chrome, whatever it is. And so that's kind of been my focus and mentality lately is offloading some of the, you know, base slabbed base stuff or raw base stuff that I have and try to get some money so then I can invest in some serial number parallels just in, cause I think regardless of anything happening, those limited numbered cards, those limited print runs, those will always hold some higher value as opposed to some of the, you know, stuff that, I mean, if you look at just the Luca PSA 10 base, the amount of uh, uh, slabbed cards that are out there. It's, it's crazy. There's like 12,000 right now. And that's like a $2,000 card. So at some point that seems like that's going to be out of whack and out of balance. Maybe not, but I think I'm always looking for ways just to mitigate, mitigate risk along the way while also um, putting money into players of guys that I really appreciate as players. So what would you say is your overarching vision for your future in the hobby? You grow your collection, generate income as a side hustle, something completely different from that. What would you say is your kind of overarching goal? Yeah. So I think for me, it's, um, there's, there's two parts to it. So there's like the stacking slabs part. And then there's like my personal, um, collecting component to it. So I think for me, it's, one of the things that I appreciate from listening to you because you've got a really smart mind when it comes to this type of thing. But one thing I'm aspiring to do is not take money out of my paycheck in order to buy cards that I want. I think there's, you've, you have so many helpful tips and ideas on how to do that. And I think it's just implementing those in my day to day and I'm getting there. Like I'm way, last time we talked, I'm, I'm way in a, I'm in a much better spot than I was. So I want to keep that going. So make sure, making sure I'm all, I'm selling, doing a lot of selling to make sure that I have monies that I'm not taking out of my paycheck to put towards some big cards that I really like. So there's that. So I'm evolving my, my personal collecting process, which is super fun and dynamic and that can keep me busy um, in and of itself. But then there's then the slack stacking slab side of like, what do you want to do with this eventually? Like, what do you, what do you try to do? And I I'm in the mode right now that I don't want I don't have a clear cut path and answer, but every day I do it more, the vision is becoming more clear. Like, and I tell, I'm very transparent with my audience and tell them like, I'm not the type of guy that one day I'm going to just like, tell all you, all right, now there's going to be this new uh, program I have and you're all going to have to pay $9.99 a month to be a part of it. Like that's not really what I'm about. I'm not, I don't really want to cap monetize and capitalize off my audience. It's more, I want to find and identify a place where my skill set and my knowledge on the card market sports and just being a content creator fits and applies in some way in this industry, whether that's, Hey, there's a new media outlet that wants to talk sports cards. They've heard stacking slabs. It's a good fit from a brand perspective or, Hey, you have a certain demographic of people that are listening to your show on a regular basis. 
we're a company that sells X product and we're trying to get into that. What, what would, what would a sponsorship opportunity look like between stacking slabs and our product? So that's really where my mindset is and mentality, but I'm, 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 I'm ambitious, but I'm also, um, I try to manage patients, my patients. So I'm right now, my primary focus with the, with the, 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 the me and the hobby is evolving my process and then on the on the content side, it's really I'm focused on creating trust with my audience and building audience right now. I've I've only been doing this since March. It's growing at a, a very nice pace, and I've got a really good audience that listens to the show every week and gives me feedback. I'm really focused on continuing that momentum there um, right now and for the rest of the year. Very cool. So where can people find you? People can find me across uh, all social channels at Stacking Slabs. Uh, primary uh, Instagram appears to be the primary way people are engaging with me. Twitter, I'm I'm active, um, and then even on TikTok. And obviously, Mike and I have a little bit of history there. I've been off the TikTok game a little bit recently. I need to I need to spend more time. How's TikTok going for you? It's, uh, I've been off a little bit too. This whole potential sale shutdown thing, it really like threw me for a loop. I know it shouldn't have, I, you know, I know it, it shouldn't have necessarily impacted my creation, but I took probably a, a 10 day to two week kind of hiatus where I think I only put up one or two videos. Uh, I put up one yesterday with the, the first day of the shop being open, but yeah, I've slowed down a little bit too. Um, just you know, with all of the uncertainty of what the future was, but it, it really shouldn't. I should keep going strong until the the very bitter end, if, if that's the way things right. to go. But yeah, it's it's been fun. It's it's still a lot of fun. There's still people watching videos. I, I passed the million view part on my there you go turtles video, and so I now have a million view TikTok video. What's what's our uh, duet up to? I, 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 it's been several weeks since I, uh, looked at it. Um, where were we at? Were we at, uh, 200,000? Where were we at last time we spoke? I know it was well over a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand. Yeah. I think last time I, we talked, it was like a hundred or last time I looked, which was maybe a few weeks ago, it was like maybe 129,000, um, which is, uh, good and sustainable. I don't know if we we're still at the top of the page or not. I'll, I'll have to go back and look, but that's that's still an all timer. People still like slide in. I still get likes about that on that regularly. So it's a definitely a hit in the hobby TikTok community. Yeah. So for for the listeners, if you if you don't know what we're talking about, I had made the video that many of you had seen, kind of recounting the Mike Trout Project Twenty Twenty mail truck fire incident. And Brett did a duet video with his facial reactions to me telling that story. And for whatever reason, that duet video caught fire at a much higher level than the actual video of me telling the story. And so it was kind of a, a fun little thing that we had there on TikTok. Yeah. And we, I don't know if we had interacted before that. I had known you just from listening to your podcast and seeing you on other people's podcasts, but I, it was once that that started to hit that's when i reached out to you and we spoke and so i'm glad i'm glad tiktok kind of brought us together that's right if if nothing else tiktok brought us together that's right all right well thanks again brett for joining me for the show today absolutely let's do it again thanks mike all right talk to you soon <laughs>